1: This is Evelyn Hirschgurth, reader services librarian from the Syosset Public Library on our Turn the Page podcast. And I am so excited today. We have two wonderful authors. We have Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray, who wrote their second book together, which we all know and love The Personal Librarian. And the second one is called (laughs) The First Ladies. And I'm just going to give you a little bit about. Each one of them. So Marie Benedict is a lawyer with more than 10 years of experience as a litigator. She's a graduate of Boston College and Boston University School of Law. She's a New York Times and US Today best-selling author of the Mitford Affair, her hidden genius, The Mystery, of Mrs. Christie, Lady Clementine, the only woman in the room, Carnegie's Maid, and the other Einstein. All have been translated with multiple languages. She lives in Pittsburgh with her family. And we have Victoria Christopher Murray who is an acclaimed author with more than a million books in print. She's written more than 30 novels, including Stand Your Ground, an NAACP Image Award winner for Outstanding Literary Work in Fiction, and a Library Journal Best Book of the Year. She She holds an MBA from the NYU Stern School of Business. So, Marie and Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Oh, you're so welcome. As I said, I love The Personal Librarian. And I am loving the First Ladies just as much as I love the Personal Librarian. I am learning so much. I I don't know what they taught me in school, but (laughs) definitely not enough because there is so much history in this book and so much information that we just never learned. They just forgot to teach us.
2: Oh, I don't think it was they forgot. (laughs) I think they just
1: purposely didn't teach us.
2: I think women's stories, women's histories, women's contributions um, have been marginalized, mm-hmm. ignored, overlooked, attributed to other people. I don't I don't think it's a yeah. matter of forgetting.
1: Right. Well, that's too bad. So I'm really glad you guys are doing it because, Thank you know, I, I really have learned so much and I'm just loving, loving this book so much. So tell everybody what it's about.
2: So it is um, It is about the world-changing friendship between a woman we think we know, former First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, and a woman that many of us don't know but should, Mary McLeod Bethune, who was an educator and uh, a force for equality in our country. Um, and these two women came together and became best friends at a time of Jim Crow and segregation, but they also joined forces to really lay, make incredible contributions that laid the groundwork for the civil rights movement.
1: Yes. I mean, it's just some of the things in this book could just blow your mind that you can't even believe that this is what happened. not that long ago. That's right. Like not that long ago, right? It just, it's just, it's sad. It's so sad that like it's, It's just crazy. I mean, unfortunately, I well, fortunately, I don't know which one. I was brought up in a place where I didn't have access to, I didn't know what went on in other communities and other, I just didn't, I didn't know it. And as I read this, I'm just, it, it breaks my heart how people were treated and how unfair. And like I said, it wasn't that long ago.
2: Right. It's shocking. Yeah.
0: And, you know, not very much has changed, you know, people don't know what goes on outside of their communities. None of us do. How would we?
1: Right. Um,
0: we did a book signing the other day and a young lady said she lives in a small rural community um, and she doesn't have an opportunity to interact with other people. She, she, and she can only make judgments based on what she sees on the news. Mm-hmm. And so was grateful for the books in the same way um, you are, but I don't think you should feel bad because that's what's happening even today. How would we know? That's right.
1: Right. Well, I'm glad you're writing about it so that we all can know. So what was your writing life like for the two of you? How did you split the writing?
0: So we did it the same way we did the personal librarian, really, um, because one of the things that we wanted to do is even though there are two characters, we still wanted it to feel like one voice, like it was done together. Of course, were, the people would be um, different, but we speak about the overall story and we've discussed that for months. And then we we break it up into chunks where we talk about it. And then we talk it through so much that sometimes the chapters are already written almost by the time, one of us decides to take which one we're doing. It was very clear in this book, which chapters I would be writing first and which chapters Marie would be writing first. But just like in the personal librarian, we then switched. We then switched the, gave the chapters to each other and edited and added and said to each other, you know, I want you to do more here, or we're going to have to take out this part or whatever. And we wrote, all the entire book
1: together, every word. Wow. That's great. Really great. Now, what was the research like for this book?
2: Um, Well, in some ways, the research, uh, the experience is different. Our approach is the same. And it's the same Mm -hmm. approach that I use with all, even my solo historical fictions. And that is, to really um, d- drill down into whatever you can acquire in terms of original source material. You know, you what you're looking for is not somebody else's view of your woman that you're writing about, because of course we take, a, we're inspired by a real life um, historical figure, but we write fiction. Um, you're looking for things in their own hand, letters, journals, articles, diaries, things that they wrote during their lifetime, or things that people who knew them and con- contemporaneous with that time period wrote about them. Um, and those things, and then after you kind of have exhausted that, we you know, you kind of kind of cast your net wider and look um, at larger things in their environment to understand their historical setting, whether it's kind of macro things like military movements, social movements, cultural developments, or micro things like what does their wallpaper look like? What kind of shoes do they wear? You know, all <laughs> those things help you understand the influences on the woman and also help us as writers create a um, a very believable, understandable world for our women to inhabit. Um, now, that's the approach, and all of that kind of creates the architecture of the story. How that plays out varies wildly from woman to woman, right? In the case, I'll just talk about Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. In the case of Eleanor Roosevelt, there's obviously a lot of information out there about her. There's oh. so many biographies about the Roosevelts, and and there's lots of information about Eleanor Roosevelt in various archives across the country, of course, in the FDR library, um, and that's unusual. Most historical women don't have that kind of information preserved about them. Right. Um, that said, in terms of what we were looking for, was which was information about Eleanor Roosevelt in the way in which her life intersected Mary McLeod Bethune, there wasn't a ton. Um, what we were able to find, a digging through many, many archives, were um, a sort of a cache of letters um, between Mary and Eleanor and Mary and Eleanor and other people on the projects they were working on and um, and so digging deep into that, spending weeks with the dusty microfiche machine at my local library that hadn't been used in about two decades um, allowed us a way to kind of stitch together a lot of their professional accomplishments and get a sense of, of how much work they actually did behind the scenes to effectuate some of these other things. But there was a very, I think, unique and kind of special chapter with Mary McLeod Bethune. Would you say, Victoria?
0: Yes. And then with Mary McLeod Bethune, it was a little bit different because this was one place where I was in there actually able to go and kind of touch her life. I knew the president of Bethune-Cookman College, Bethune-Cookman University. And so he had me um, come down there and. I got to walk the campus that she built. I got mm-hmm. to walk inside her home. She's actually buried on the campus there. So all of the buildings that we speak about, um, the buildings that James Gamble helped her build are still there because it's still one of the top HBCUs. And then the, the greatest gift Marie and I had from Mary's perspective was that her grandson, who's a major uh, character in this book, He had written a self-published book called "Mother Dear." um, That yes, and so he had written that book, and he had just passed away. He had just passed away recently when I went down there. So I was given the book, which was like the greatest gift to not only know more, not only for our book, but for Marie and I to get to know to know Mary so much better. Um, And we were given the book. And then his daughter, it would be Mary's great granddaughter, still Mm. worked at the college. So I had a chance to speak with her. So we had a perspective of Mary that you don't often get, you know,
1: that close and personal. Oh, that is so wonderful. So the college is where in Daytona? Daytona Beach, Florida. Daytona beach, Florida. Oh my gosh. That's Wonderful that he published that book. Oh, wow. Yeah, he
0: self-published it and I don't think he self-published it for the world, you know. He self-published yeah. it out of a few hundred
1: copies printed out of and that was love good. for his grandmother, of course. Yes. Oh, that that is so nice. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Wow. So what made you interested in picking these two characters? What what made you decide that this was a friendship and a and something that you wanted to write
2: about? Um, I think it all kind of goes back to the personal librarian. You know, when we were writing that book, we knew we were kind of bringing to life in a fictional way, this remarkable historical figure of Belle de Costa Green. Um, And to do that, of course, we had to go deep ourselves, you know, we had to um, we were discussing not just historic racism, but also ultimately modern day racism, and um, it to really bring to life the character and, and help us both understand w- what she experienced during her lifetime. Um, what we didn't bargain for was when we connected with readers, whether it was virtually during COVID or um, once we were able to actually start to do events in person, is how people, how interested people would be in us as writers. Um, in us as a black and a white woman coming together to talk very openly and honestly about racism. And I wouldn't say people were as interested in us as they were in Bell because Bell is pretty darn fascinating, but um, people were very interested in us. And we could see in readers a hunger to understand that connection and how to forge it. And in many ways, that was the impetus for us being open to and looking for very intentionally historical figures that would allow us to explore our personal experience. And while Victoria had long been familiar with Mary McLeod Bethune, and she was a a hero of hers growing up Um, when I stumbled, kind of stumbled upon the friendship between these two women, which really has not been written about extensively elsewhere. It just seemed like such a fascinating way for us to Explore that which we saw readers kind of uh, hungering for. It, to say again, you know that that sort of understanding how you can form that bridge across um, racial divides. Right.
1: And when you guys go and do all these um, events, are your audiences primarily black, white, mixed? What What are you finding? That's a really good question because it's changed. Okay. Um, and before,
0: with the personal librarian, before it was very segregated. The audience were either all black or all white. Um, very few times were they integrated. In fact, though, the the one um, audience that was segregated was in South Carolina. We found that to be fascinating. <laughs> um, but with this book, we're getting much more of a mixed audience. Yeah. And I mean, and I remember thinking, wow, the message is getting out. When we, mm. when we wrote The Personal Librarian, we spoke to audiences about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to bring people together. So one of the things we've noticed is that the audiences are much more mixed. Um, and then just this past weekend, or I don't know, my days are mixed up. We've been to so many cities. I don't even know what day it was, but a few signings ago we received a text from a Black reader who said she was sitting there in the audience and looking around at the mixed audience saying, well, Maria and Victoria wanted us to come together, but we're still not speaking to each other. And then the white reader next to her introduced herself and the Black reader said, okay, I must be part of the problem uh-huh. if I noticed right. it. <laughs> and so now they're even talking to each other As It's just a beautiful
1: thing to see. That is nice. That is lovely.
2: It's really wonderful.
1: I'm glad you guys have done that. There's no reason why it shouldn't be that way all the time. I just don't get it. Well, you know, I think people feel uncomfortable.
0: And I think one of the things that we, we, we've noticed that because we've had to have uncomfortable conversations. Sure. And so, we know now these books are so important because it gives people a safe place to land. It gives people a place where they can ask tough tough questions and uncomfortable questions, but it's in the safety of a fiction, of a novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we've we've had questions on this round that we would have never had before where Mm -hmm. even Marie and I had to squirm a little bit, but it was wonderful. Because yeah. the questions were asked in a mixed audience and then we get to talk about it and people get to hear the answers.
1: What were some of the questions can you tell us some of the questions? Anything in particular you
2: remember that so we had in one of our I think it was towards the beginning, you know, we've been on tour for like a month. Yeah, the month book came time. out in June. So yeah. Yeah, we've, yeah. Been, we've been a lot of places and um we had Um, A white reader raised her hand and say that she had noticed that in our author's notes that the word black was capitalized, but the word white was not. Uh And it was something that she had noticed before. And she didn't want to offend anybody, but she was really curious about that. And um, Victoria handled handled it so beautifully, but it was interesting we kind of looked at each other like, okay, nobody would have asked us that question in, per, in, in the, when we were talking about the personal librarian, mm-hmm. but it felt so satisfying because we, our goal had been to create an environment where people could ask those questions, where people could be comfortable asking a question that pot- could potentially be fraught with discomfort. And you could see the audience. Some of them were a little bristling, not sure how it was going to go. And then Victoria started talking. And the reason that I happened to just
0: know is that that had been a question that I had asked Marie. You know, it just mm-hmm. looks weird and awkward in a sentence, but I'm writing my first solo historical fiction. Oh, goodness. Um, oh, good. that's yes. Great. yes, and it has me under a lot of pressure right now, but that's another <laughs> book to write. But, um, and I had just done some research on that, on the, the capitalization of, uh, Black, And it actually started in 1927 with W.E.B. Du Bois. Okay. And he, um, if you look at reviews of music or acting, Negro was always lowercase, where Caucasian was capitalized.
1: That's the opposite.
0: And he, yeah, and he said, um, you need to capitalize it. It's racist, it's our race. And so the New York Times and the other publications turned him down. But as the years went on, it continued. And the reason today, a lot of things happened in between. But the reason today that Black is capitalized and white is lowercase is Black is the definition of the race. It has changed over the years from Negro to African-American to Black. But it's always capitalized when you're talking about the race. And so when you're talking about the white race, it's Caucasian. That's capitalized. So black is capitalized because today that's what right. uh, black people known about as the race. And white is the skin color. And so even in our book, when we talk about colored people, because that's the word they use, black that's black. lowercase because that's the skin color. Mm-hmm. but Negro is capitalized. So you always capitalize the rates and that's what it is.
1: Wow, that is interesting.
0: Because she said the lady came up to us and she was so grateful, but then it it, it even went on beyond that. Remember that Marie? Because mm-hmm. then I we got a text from a black reader who at first, I won't say she was offended by the question, but she's like, why do people want to take things away from us? And then we were able to text her back and say, But if we don't have these kinds of questions, nobody will ever know how Mm -hmm. you
1: feel. Right.
0: And she said, you know what? You're right. And from now on, I'm going to be more patient with us
1: answering questions. You guys are really opening everything up. It's, It's so great. It really is. So what is your new historical fiction book about?
2: Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you know, it's so funny. It's a solo book, but Maria is right here next to me. Uh, in fact, she she gave the title. We think it's oh. going to be called The Muse of Harlem. And it's about, if you have a favorite Harlem Renaissance writer, there was a Black woman who discovered them all. Oh. She discovered Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, County Cullen, Nella Larson, every single one. Every single one. And she's been erased from history. Her name is Jessie Redmond Fawcett, and she has just such an interesting story because she went to Harlem with her her stepmother who was the only mother she knew who was Jewish, but who also participated in the movement as well, the Harlem Renaissance. And then there's the little juicy part of her affair with W.E.B. Du Bois, but that's just a little side (laughs) thing. So I'm very excited.
1: That sounds great. When is that due out?
0: That will be coming out in January 25. It's due next Tuesday.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> you are busy. How did you write while you were on this tour? I mean, that must have been oh so my, <laughs> Oh, my. And Maria's writing, too.
0: So, mm. um, yeah, it was tough to write on tour. Mm. Uh, we had some long car drives. So while somebody was driving us, we tried to write and work. But it's really hard because it's exhausting. We there were days when we had three events in one day. Oh
1: wow! So, so, Marie, what are you writing?
2: Um, Well, I um, have—I can't say exactly right now, but just to say that I have a new book coming out in spring of 2024. Um, Is that right? Spring of 2020? No, No, spring of 2025. Spring of
1: 2025. Nothing in 2024 for either one of you. No, no, we'll we'll bring out the paperback of yes. this book. But, oh, okay. you know, and then yeah, you'll have both. to go on tour again to promote the paperback.
2: Hope, uh, I don't know. Hopefully not. <laughs> we did paperback, we did a paperback tour for the personal librarian because we hadn't been able to do a hardcover okay. thing.
1: Right. That makes sense.
2: I, I think we have covered so much ground with this with this, with this hardcover mm-hmm. tour, we'd be hard pressed to go back out again, I think. For okay. Yeah, yeah, no, you guys. It's a lot of work. I'm sure. Being,
1: would you go? Up and down the East Coast, or? Ah, uh, we yeah. went
2: and the south
1: mm. um,
2: and Cod. Though that was really that was to me beautiful. that
0: was the highlight because yeah. we ended up in a casino hotel and uh, <laughs> we
2: had <some> great experiences.
0: <laughs> we had great experiences so it's been a great plus i got to spend the time with marie and that's always fun well, what do you I
1: guys know. call each other sister friends is that what the term yeah. is
2: yeah, yeah, we really do. And mm-hmm. sometimes we're like, one of us is the big sister. We take <laughs> turns. Yeah, like, yes, this morning I had to be the big sister. Yeah,
0: this morning she she started her text with, look, I'm just going to be the big sister here. So we know that's our <laughs> cue to the other, that there's no talking back.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it
0: works, actually. It works for us. Because when so, I say I'm the big sister, it shuts her
2: down. Well, you know what? We are both the oldest sister. So sister. am I. So am I. Oh. <laughs> you know. You know and you, so you understand that dynamic and mm-hmm. we both get it when we're like, no no, I'm the big sister now. So that that's that's the cue that th- this is something that, you know, and it's usually when you're trying to do the the right thing for the other person, but they don't want to do the right thing for themselves. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. So we we, can-
1: I'm so glad you found each other. <laughs> oh,
2: so are we. I am too. I well, am too.
1: Well, I'm listening to the, I'm reading, the, I have the hardcover book and I also listen on audio. Oh, this is a fabulous audio book. Isn't Everybody it? Everybody
0: a- keeps saying that. I haven't, you know, we listen to the voices to select right. people, but right. um, people have been saying how good the audio is. And I just think I'm going to download it to listen to a little bit of it. They have like, to. Oh, fabulous
1: it is they're great they're really great
2: yeah we 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 specifically chose the people you know Mm -hmm. we wanted i've listened to maybe a third of it because i'm a huge audiobook person right Um, it, it is sometimes hard to to listen to your own words, come back at you. Yeah. But I do love to have that experience of the, of the book coming alive in a different way. And so that's yeah. exciting.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's a fabulous audiobook. I highly recommend it. Anybody looking for it from Syosset, it's available on Libby. Um, If you need any help downloading Libby, if you've never done that before, just give us a call at the Reader services desk and we'll be happy to help you. But yeah, it's, I'm an audio book fan. I, I just love yeah. audiobooks And this one is by far one of the best. It really is. Right.
0: Well, you know, Robin Miles was the person, was the, was the narrator on the personal librarian and mm-hmm. people loved her there. Right. So I'm, great. Wait, I'm going to download it so that I can listen. And when to you're done,
1: when you're done with your book, Yes. Well, right. I
0: can't do anything. I can't even breathe right now. In fact, <laughs> yeah. Marie shut me down from doing something that I was going to be doing with her this weekend. No,
2: yeah. you're focusing on the, your book. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I can't breathe right now. That's right. It. All I can do is write.
1: Okay. So afterwards, give yourself a treat and listen to the book. You That's know everything that happened. So you could just jump true. in anywhere. It's not <laughs> like you have it. to start from the beginning. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> you know the whole story. I love it. And I hope our patrons pick it up, listen, whatever way they want to listen or read. It's it's just great. It's just fabulous. I hope you guys have another uh, plan for another book together. We do. Oh, we good. Do. good. We do. So so we, we have so many ideas.
0: We have so many ideas. But you're, we're not going to get rid of each other and you guys aren't going to get rid of
1: us. That's great because we don't want to. We want, we want it to keep on coming. These <laughs> books are great. They really are. I really appreciate, especially you, Victoria, for taking this time where I know you're on a deadline. <laughs> oh, I appreciate um, you talking with us.
2: Thank oh, you. No so problem.
1: When you buy, guys both it. have your solo books, I'd love to talk to you again then too. That would be great
2: would love that. And if you're yeah, ever I, in the I, area,
1: we'd love to have you here. I know you go on your tours. And we'd love to have you for the next yeah. book that you write together. If you could make a stop here at the Syasa Library, that would be wonderful. All right.
0: Well, I would love to because I love your New York accent. You know, New York
1: is home for me. So Is that where you're I from? Look, where are look you look from? Me.
0: I'm from New York. I was born oh. in Manhattan. I was born in Mount Sinai Hospital. It was oh, so my gosh.
1: Of to. course. Yes.
0: Yeah. And then I was raised in Queens in Springfield Gardens.
1: Oh, that's my cousin
0: lives there. Okay. Yeah. I went to Springfield Gardens High School. So yeah.
1: yeah. Are you there now in New York or where are you now? No, I'm
0: in Washington,
1: DC. Oh, okay. That's a good place too. Yeah. I live here now. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't moved too far.
0: I can live in, I can listen to your accent all day long. It makes (laughs) me feel like home.
1: And who knew I have an accent, right? It's just <laughs> where we all speak around here. So, but I really thank you guys so much. And for anybody that's listening, please call us. We'll put it on hold for you. And you can pick up a copy of The First Ladies by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray. So thank I'm going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. And I really thank you guys so much.
2: Thank you so much. Okay.
1: Thanks for having us. We'll see you and next time. Fabulous speaking with you.
2: You I look too. forward
1: to everything you both write. So thank oh, you. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye okay. bye. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.